0: I want to talk to you tonight, tonight about overcoming fear. We'll start in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Paul said, by the Holy Ghost, he said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. So fear must be a spirit. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, I think we can all accept and understand that when he says God has given us a uh, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love of sound mind. We understand that fear is a spiritual force. We understand that God's power is certainly a spiritual force, as is his love. And soundness of mind is a part of the development of the human spirit as well. A sound mind means, literally it means, comes from the root word, it means not moved by emotion. But he's talking about wisdom. He's talking about having understanding. He's talking about a renewed mind. Someone that knows who they are in Christ. So he says, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If we have the wisdom and understanding to realize how things operate, how the devil operates against us, then we can appropriate the power of God to meet the need in every situation or to deliver us. And of course, love is a part of our nature because God shed abroad his love in our hearts when we were born again. God is love and we're made in his image. First John chapter 4. Let's read verse 18. John, speaking by the Holy Ghost, said, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. How many of you have found that to be true? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. It sounds like John is writing to the church, telling the church that we're going to have to be perfected. Now, that word does not mean never make a mistake. It means to adjust and repair. But what is it about adjusting and repairing that drives away fear? I'm going to back up a couple of verses in this uh, same chapter, read some things, and then I'll, uh, verse 15, then we'll make some comments. 1 John 4, 15, he said, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. Now, folks, I want you to realize where he's talking about in verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. The perfection he's talking about Concerning love is not our walking in love. It's our understanding of God's love for us. Let me read the verse again and, and make sure you see it. Verse 16, he said, And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. That's, the, that's the, um, uh, the type of love that he's talking about. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Verse 17, we didn't read that one. Herein is our love made perfect. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, uh, when we talk about fear, most everybody associates fear with doubt, because the Bible speaks of them working hand in hand. I'm not sure there is um, much opportunity to doubt without fear, and I'm not sure that anybody operating in fear is going to do anything other than doubt. But if we if we turn it around and say, what is the opposite? of doubt well everybody understands that doubt is unbelief so the opposite of doubt would be faith i personally believe in second timothy verse one uh, chapter one verse seven where paul says god hasn't given us the spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind i personally believe he's talking about faith there how, do you, how else do you access the the power of god So if power is the overcoming factor, is an overcoming factor when it comes to fear, that has to be activated or accessed by faith. Now the second thing that he says about love, he's talking about our understanding of God's love for us. John is telling us that the key to overcoming the torment of fear is to realize how much God loves us. Now let me read... What verse is it? Verse 17 again. He said, herein is our love made perfect. How do you know you've been perfected in in love? And again, I'm not talking about you walking in love towards your neighbor. That's always a good thing to do. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about being perfected as far as the understanding of God's love for and toward us. Herein is our love made perfect. How do we know we've been perfected in love? That we may have boldness in him. In the day of judgment, certainly. But I don't know about you, I'm not going to start being bold about who I am in Christ when judgment day comes. He says that because as he is, so are we in this world. I believe John's telling us that we are supposed to, not only can, but are supposed to, operate in boldness here on the earth. Let me throw something out to you and you judge it for yourself. If faith is the opposite of doubt would not boldness be the opposite of fear fear and doubt go hand in hand but they're not the same thing so if they're not the same thing how could faith be the opposite of both but if boldness is the opposite of fear now we've got something think about the times in the in the uh, old testament Concerning heroes of faith, people that did mighty exploits for God and in God's service. Think about David as a young teenager, probably 17 or 18 years old, going out to bring supplies to his brothers who were in the army, Israel's army. He hears Goliath issue his challenge. You remember what David did? David went around the camp saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of Israel he's asking why hadn't anybody claimed the reward Saul had given a reward second only to himself in the kingdom he's saying why hadn't anybody made good on that why didn't anybody cash that in he was not timid in any respect in any aspect of this thing so much so that his brothers started trying to put him down for what he was saying and he answered them and said isn't there a good cause to be bold here news gets around to Saul who's the king of Israel he calls for David David comes in before him he says I'll go nobody else would none of Israel's trained fighters were willing to go against Goliath because he was so big David said I'll go finally talks Saul into it he probably shamed him into it really but he talks Saul into it and he goes out against Goliath with five smooth stones And with five smooth stones in his bag and a sling in his hand, he tells Goliath that he's going to cut his head off that day. Kid's not even carrying a sword. Look at the boldness of David. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Their lives are threatened by King Nebuchadnezzar because they won't bow down and worship his statue. So Nebuchadnezzar says, listen. Guys, I don't want to hurt you. So the next time the music plays, when it's time for everybody to worship the the statue, if you'll bow down and do what everybody else does, we'll just call this quits. We'll just act like none of the rest of this stuff has ever happened. But if you don't, I'm going to have to throw you in the burning, fiery furnace. And who is it that will deliver you out of my hand then? They answer very quickly. We're not careful to answer in this matter, O King. Know this. If you do throw us into the furnace, you asked who would deliver us, our God will. But if you don't throw us in the furnace, we're not worshiping your statue. Made the king mad, he threw him in. God delivered him. Now tell me this. How many great stories, inspirational stories, do we have in the Old Testament by people that were timid about who they were in God? Tell me the stories that came about as a result of somebody compromising, just not making waves. Where are the memorials to those guys? They don't exist because God expects us to be bold. The opposite of fear is boldness, folks. Turn back with me to Numbers chapter 13. I know you know this story by heart, and I'm glad you do. And it seems like I use this story in just about everything that I teach But honest to goodness, it is one of the most pivotal stories in the Bible. I'm going to start reading in verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain. And see the land, what it is, and the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. And what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities there are that they dwell in. Whether in tents or in strongholds, and when the land and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, and be ye of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first striped grapes, so they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob, as men come to Hamath, and as they were ascending, and they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron, where somebody. Three guys, the children of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt, and they came unto the brook of Escol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bare it between two upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs, and the place was called the brook of Eskel because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence, and they returned from searching of the land forty days after forty days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to the congregation of the children of Israel into the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with them said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying... The land through which we have gone to search it is the land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. Folks, I want you to understand something. Fear is designed for one and only one thing, and that is to change the way you see yourself. That's what fear is about. That's why fear is such an effective weapon against those who are unskilled in the Word of God. Those who haven't renewed their mind to the Word. Those who haven't developed in their personal relationship with God. Because fear is designed to make you think differently about you. Chapter 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt Or would God we had died in this wilderness And wherefore Hath the Lord brought us into this land To fall by the sword That our wives and our children should be a prey Were it not better for us to return to Egypt And they said one to another Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces Before all the assembly of the congregation Of the children of Israel And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. I want you to understand something, folks. Caleb and Joshua realized they knew what the response was supposed to be. They had understanding of what God is looking for. They had understanding of what their means and source of victory would be. And so when the children of Israel take sides with the ten spies who said, we can't do it, they ripped their clothes that was a sign that you have committed a grievous error that this is something that needs to stop and change right away they spake unto the company of the children of Israel saying the land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land if the Lord delight in us then he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land which flows with milk and honey only rebel ye not against the Lord neither fear ye the people of the land for they are bread for us their defense has departed from them and the Lord is with us fear them not now if fear is designed to change our outlook toward ourselves what happened to the ten the ten spies came back and said well it's good land the fruit's great you can see what we brought back but the cities have walls around them and those walls a wall around any city is a defensive measure right and these walls are bigger than anything they've ever seen I'm sure they saw the the, uh, walls of Jericho. And a wall that's bigger than anything they've seen looks like a strong defense. But notice what Caleb and Joshua realized. Notice what Caleb and Joshua did. They tore their clothes. They said, wait a minute, stop this right here. Their defense is gone from them. Their defense is gone from them. The people may look strong, they may look big, but God is on our side. Their defense has left them. Now, folks, I want you to realize something. In Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? When Peter finally answers and says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus says, blessed art thou, Simon, Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. He's talking about the revelation of who he is, being the Christ, the Messiah. Well, the fact that he asked the question in the setting that he does indicates to me that he didn't spend a lot of time talking about it the fact that he was the Messiah, or reminding them, now remember, I'm the Messiah. Everywhere you go, tell somebody I'm the Messiah. That couldn't have been the case, or else this question would have been improper. But Jesus says, on this rock, the knowledge that he is the Son of God, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One translation says, the gates of hell will not be able to hold down against it. You take any translation you want to, and you can see, you can clearly see that the picture that Jesus is painting is the church moving forward and the devil trying to hold out against us. The greater force is always going to win in any conflict, all things being equal. The greater force will win. Jesus is saying the church is a greater force. Caleb and Joshua understood something that I don't think many of us understand today. And that is because God is on our side, there's nothing the devil can do to hold out. His defense, just like the walls of Jericho, just as those walls were not able to withstand the children of Israel 40 years later because they have to go into the wilderness because of the unbelief of the fathers. Just like the walls of Jericho weren't able to withstand the people of God 40 years later, they wouldn't have withstood them then. Caleb and Joshua understood that their defense had gone from them. But again, think about what fear is supposed to do fear's job is to make you look at yourself differently. These 10 did. Last verse of the 13th chapter says, we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. I'm guessing that they didn't go into the land to spy it out feeling like grasshoppers. But that's what fear turned them toward. And as a result, because they began to see themselves differently, because they began to see themselves as incapable or inadequate for the task at hand, they said, we can't do it. Caleb and Joshua saw the same walls around Jericho. They saw the same armies. They saw the same people living by the coast of Jordan and up in the mountains and everywhere else. They saw the Canaanites, the Hittites, the uh, Amalekites, the sons and daughters of Anak that they referred to. They saw all the same people that the ten did. But they realized that because God was on their side, the defenses of their enemies had departed them. Now, somebody might say, yeah, but that's Old Testament. Well, turn in the New Testament to Hebrews chapter 13. If you want a New Testament reference. Verses 4 and 5, the last part of verse 4, it says, For as it is written, for as it is said, the Lord will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Verse 5. So that we may have boldness. So that we may have boldness. So that we may have boldness. And say the Lord is with me. I will not fear what man will do to me. The Holy Spirit telling the church. Your enemy's defenses have departed. Because God's on your side. Your enemy's defenses have left them. Because God is on your side. That's the perfect love that John's talking about in 1 John 4. When we understand the love that God has for us, not when we do good things so that God sees we love him, but when we understand that God loves us, the perfection, the completeness of God's love for us, resulting in the the keeping of his promise, the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us, then we can and should have boldness in the earth, certainly on the day of judgment. But even while we're here now, in the here and now, because as he is, so are we in this world. I want you to get that phrase, folks. Their defense has departed from them. Their defense has departed from them. It doesn't matter how big that stinking wall is around Jericho. Their defenses have departed. It doesn't matter how big they look. Their defenses have departed. It doesn't matter how strong they appear to be. It doesn't matter that there's more of them than there are of us. Because their defenses have departed from them. Now David, you know the one that went out and killed Goliath. Must have understood something about boldness and God being with him. Psalm 34 Verses 1 and 2, David said something to this effect. He said, my soul will continuously bless the Lord. Verse 2, he says, I will make my boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. I will make my boast in the Lord. Folks, when we talk about the stories in the Old Testament that inspire us, when we talk about the things that Man did and man accomplished because God was on his side that was outside of their ability, natural ability to do. When we talk about those things, you can find one common denominator in every one of those stories. They're making their boast in the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 20, when Jehoshaphat has the five enemy kings come against him, they set a day for fasting and praying. The Holy Ghost said through one of the prophets in the the, uh, congregation, do not be afraid. The battle is not yours but the Lord's. Told them where they're going to find them the next day. Next day they started off and said, remember what the Lord said. We'll put the singers and the praisers out front. And they began to sing. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. What are they saying? They're saying God's with us. God's with us. Well, now these five enemy armies that are more well-equipped than, they certainly outnumber Israel and they're more well-equipped than Israel is militarily. I'm talking about they've got better and and, uh, more abundant weapons than Israel did. You would have thought that their numbers being the greater and their military might or strength being greater than Israel, all things being equal, they should have won. But because their defense departed from them, they wound up killing each other and left everything for Israel to carry away. I think so often we allow fear and doubt to change what we think about ourselves and who the Bible says we are. And so we just sit back and see what what will happen. We'll make a confession of the word. We'll say, yeah, okay, we believe God for our healing or... By his stripes, he, he, uh, we are healed, or I believe the money's going to come in. We rebuke poverty and lack, and that's as far as we go. We don't make a bold statement about what God's going to do. We don't make a bold statement about what the Word of God promises. But every one of these stories in the Old Testament where God comes through in some miraculous way, it was because somebody boasted that God would honor his Word. I'll tell you this, folks. If you don't take a bold position on whatever you're believing God for, fear is one. Because you can't stay in neutral. You can't just have fear attacking you and not doing something about it according to what the Bible says and expect to overcome it. You just can't do it. Now the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they had a perfect opportunity to compromise. Perfect. Wouldn't have even hurt them. Wouldn't cost them anything. They could have just waited for the music to sound next, bow down, take a knee. No harm, no foul. But that's not what they did. They said, "We're not worshiping another god." you included, because God forbade that. Now, whatever you think you have to do, King Nebuchadnezzar in this situation, throw us in the furnace or not, whatever you need to do, you go right ahead. Because if you throw us in, God will deliver us. I like these guys. How about you? So many times we find ourselves in David's position where the enemy is way, 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 way bigger than us. And we have no choice but to go out and face them. And instead of taking a bold position, we go out and we say, No weapon formed against me will prosper. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And then try to stay out of range. And we try to convince God that we're believing His word Lord, we're trusting in You. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. We're trusting in you. But the people that win the battles are the ones that get out there and say, I'll make my boast in the Lord. I'm bragging on God. Somehow, some way, we don't know how. We may not be able to see it. may not have it figured out. But some way, somehow, God's going to see us through on this thing, and he's going to see us through big. But the devil will tell you, he'll whisper in your ear and he'll say, you better not make that confession very loud. It's enough that you've let a couple of people know. But just let God work. All of those things can be, they don't always have to be, but all of those things can be steps of compromise. Or we could say, sickness and disease has lost its defense. Poverty and lacks." defenses have departed from them because the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man will do unto me. Well, if you're not going to be afraid of what man or people are going to do and the only power they have against you is what the devil influences them to do, then why in the world should be, you be afraid of the one who can't do anything against you unless he finds somebody to work through? My point is, if we're not going to be afraid of man, why shouldn't in the world should we be afraid of the devil? Turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, I'm going to start reading in verse 22. Straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Can you ever remember a time when God showed up either through an angel or Jesus appeared to somebody or even speaking through prophets where he said, Well, I'd hope for you not to be afraid, but I I can understand this is a real tough situation. God never made an excuse concerning fear. Never has, never will. He says, Don't be afraid just don't be afraid well what's the opposite of fear i believe it's boldness peter answered him and said lord if it's you bid me come unto thee on the water and jesus said come now what is peter doing that sounds like a pretty bold statement to me and that doesn't put jesus off at all if this is really you lord we've never seen anybody walking on the water we're not close enough to touch you so you know there may be some questions here but if it's you, tell me to come walking on the water. Jesus said, Come. And with great boldness, Peter stepped out of the boat onto the water. Because you don't do that unless you're being bold about something. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. What was it that enabled Peter to walk on the water? His boldness. His challenge to Jesus to enable him, Peter, to do the same thing that Jesus was doing was met with approval. Come on. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore or why did you doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Jesus didn't reprimand him for his boldness. He didn't reprimand Peter for his desire to get out on the water and experience the same miracle that he was in the middle of. His disappointment came when Peter allowed fear to change the way he saw himself. Up until that point in time, Peter is very well acquainted with everything Jesus does. He tells us to do too. He's given us power over sickness and disease. He's given us authority over evil spirits to cast them out. There's not one thing that Jesus has done that he hasn't given us the opportunity to do with him. Well, that would create a a boldness, an attitude of boldness, wouldn't it? Peter seems to be the only one willing to act on it. The others have had the same experience. But Peter is the one willing to act on it. He's the one willing to speak up. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come on. But the way that he saw himself changed. He saw the wind boisterous, and he became afraid. Well, everybody knows you can't walk on the water when the wind's blowing. But he's already walking on the water. Notice what fear did. I personally believe that the only thing that could have stopped Peter, no matter what he was feeling, no matter what he was seeing, no matter what thoughts of the enemy came to his mind, I believe that the only thing that could possibly stop him was him to stop doing what Jesus said. Jesus said, come. I believe his fear made him stop walking. And when he stopped walking, he began to sink. because your emotions don't matter when it comes to operating in the things of God see a lot of people think that uh, uh, the key to overcoming fear is just that you never feel afraid but I know some of the greatest faith victories I've experienced in my life have been while there were questions in my head things that were trying to make me be afraid it's not an emotion folks it's not about that It's about what are you going to do? How are you going to answer the fear that comes against you? Turn with me to Psalm 91. Let's see some things that the Bible says we shouldn't be or don't have to be afraid of. Verse 1, He that dwelleth in the secret places of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day. Have you ever noticed the devil works harder in nighttime? If you're trying to believe God for something or standing in faith for something, You can count on it. In the middle of the night, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, whatever it is, when everybody else is asleep, the devil will wake you up and tell you what he's going to do to you. No comparison to the way that he works at night versus the way he works during the day. You don't have to be afraid of the terror by night. nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Now, folks, if these things are, if these scriptures are spoken by, by God himself, given to us by the Holy Ghost, and they are, and the Bible says that these things belong to us, what should our attitude be? I mean, we can look at this and say you don't have to be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day. A thousand shall fall on one side and ten thousand on the other side, but it shall not come nigh you. If that's true, and if we really believe it and accept it as truth, how in the world can we be timid when it comes to facing the devil? The Bible says come before the throne of grace with boldness. Why? Well John said, first John four that we just read before is because God's love is so great upon us that we don't have to be afraid of anything. Is that all he said he'd do? He says, Only with our eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most time thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Now, folks, it just seems to me if these things are true, we ought to be saying them. just seems to me if these things are true, we ought to be confessing these things and claiming these things with a swagger in our step. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. References to the devil. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. References to the devil. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? I'm going to read from Proverbs chapter 3. The whole chapter is about um, gaining the wisdom of God. Verse 21, he says, My son, let them not depart from thine eyes, meaning the word. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Here's that soundness of mind that Paul talked about. Writing to Timothy, so shall there be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Now, folks, here's the scriptures you can get rest every night on. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord shall be your confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Folks, if all these scriptures are true, why aren't we looking for the devil saying, Hey, buddy, let me read something to you. See, folks, these are some things that the people of the Old Testament believed, certain ones. This is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood. If King Nebuchadnezzar is going to try to attempt to take our lives because we've been obeying the word, we can count on God's deliverance. When David went out against Goliath, talk about being alone. There's not a person on the hill among Israel's armies that believe he's going to be successful in any way whatsoever. Not one. But he goes against Goliath. Here's Goliath, interview his threats. And David very simply says, before the sun goes down today, I'm going to take your head off your shoulders. I come to you in the name of the Lord. He understood their defenses had departed from them. He understood that Goliath had no defense because God was on his side. The three Hebrew children understood that the burning fiery furnace had no power over their bodies because God was on their side. Peter didn't understand that because Jesus was on his side, he couldn't have sunk if he kept his eyes on Jesus. You getting anything out of this? I'm going to read from Psalm 34. I quoted it a minute ago, but I think I'm going to read it. I botched a part of the, the quote. Psalm 34, verse 1, a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech who drove him away and departed. He said, I will bless the Lord at all, my, all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. I wonder if that has anything to to do with the soundness of mind that Peter refers to when he's talking to, to, uh, that Paul referred to when he was talking to Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. So many times it looks to me like Christians think a sound mind means don't make any waves. But there are times to make waves. There are times when it is definitely in your best interest to make waves. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. The Bible says, in numerous times, in numerous places, he that believeth on, talking about people, you and me, those people that believe in God shall not be ashamed. Shall not be ashamed. Shall not be ashamed. In other words, being bold is a safe place. Speaking out boldly. What God will do, what His Word says that He has done, speaking boldly about who we are in Christ and the authority that we have over the devil, that's a safe place to be. I believe the opposite of fear is boldness. And when we understand that God's on our side, that He loves us, He's not counting marks against us, He's not looking for ways to add demerits to our charge. When we understand that he loves us enough to give us his best. There's not even a possibility that he wouldn't give anything else we need. I think that's shouting ground. I think that's a place for us to step up boldly and say sickness's defense is gone. Poverty's defense is gone. Because God is on our side. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. I won't be afraid of what men do. I sure won't be afraid of a defeated foe like the devil. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. Well, let's all stand. I don't know what you want to do about this. I'm just going to tell you right now, I did all my shouting this afternoon. Let's lift our hands and thank him for his word. Lord, we thank you that your love is so great for us. There is nothing that you will not do for us. There is not one scripture you will not fulfill on our behalf. We bless you, Father. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We make our boast in you. We declare that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus no matter what it looks like or what the doctor says. We declare that we're above and not beneath the head and not the tail. We uh, declare... Boldly, that we're blessed in the city and the field, and everything we put our hand to prospers. We declare that poverty's defenses are broken over our lives. That we are moving forward, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. No aspect, no characteristic of death or the law of sin and death that's operating in this world will hinder us in Jesus' name. God is on our side. We will not fear. Mr. Devil, we're not afraid anymore. Now we understand. Better than we ever have. Now we understand. We understand that the power of God is accessible to us by faith. We understand that the love of God toward us gives us great boldness. Here on this earth and when we stand before God at the end. We declare that the soundness of mind that we have now through given through the Understanding of the word makes us a champion.